We uh, we're excited to have you on here today. We uh, have been like following your Instagram and you seem to be on this like transgressive wave, this like, I don't know, just like really fun, funny. Um, it's really hard to pin down like what your vibe is. And that's like my favorite thing. It's like, where is this going? Keep them on their toes, that kind of thing. How are you doing today, Anna? Um, I'm chilling. I'm in Vermont and it's not really hot. It's like gorgeous and perfect, not to brag. Um, but there is like a weird, um, like, I don't know if it's an Air Force base or military base that's like not in Burlington, but like nearby. And like, I always hear these like crazy planes going overhead and they totally freak me out. And like the first time I heard them, I was like, oh, am I going to die right now? Like, I didn't know there was a military base, um, but I heard them today. I like to fantasize that like we're all just going to like poof, blow up every time they fly over. Yeah, my family used to live, or my brother lived on military bases, and um, you got used, when you'd visit him, you'd always get used to the the flyovers. Um, it kind of felt like we were perpetually in war, or like what a simulation would be like, um, because they would yeah, like this shake is, the house. this is just like Ukraine over here in Vermont, so. <laughs> <laughs> the same in many ways, Canada and Ukraine. Yeah, basically. Um, so, uh, so Ben, that, that brings us to one of the things we, you know, we've been following you uh, post about and a while ago when everyone was um, posting the Ukraine flags in their bios and disseminating our favorite NATO propaganda. You were doing a PSYOP with the CIA by creating memes. I'm sorry, that's, that was somebody else. You were following this um, pretty closely. Um, and as I understand, you have family that's actually from uh, Kyiv and Minsk, right? Um, so you might be still following that. Um, do you still have family that live there or are these uh, generations past? It was my father's family. And, you know, I, I grew up with like my grandfather speaking Russian and Ukrainian and that kind of thing. But I don't have like, okay. um, I, I went there quite a lot before the war, um, just out of interest, really. But that's so I had a kind of family connection a bit. You know, I'm kind of Scottish, English, Ukrainian, Belarusian. And it's all, you know, it's all interesting, but um, also some friends there. I also work with um, Julie Polly, who's a really amazing photographer from Ukraine. I kind of fell in love with the place. Um, and before, for quite a while before the war, I sort of had um, a lot of interest and some cultural insight into the country and what was going on. I've, you know, in my other past, I've worked as a journalist and done some analysis type work. So, um, yeah, I, I had a kind of journalistic interest in it. And then you know, when it all kicked off, I think at the, it was, it was a bit like everyone just lost their mind, including me, <laughs> but I quite like riding that wave of losing your mind. You know what I mean? Like that zeitgeist wave. Right. Going, the mass hysteria online. It must've been like, oh. like it, it must've been even more aggravating and uh, psychosis inducing just as someone with a, a real connection to the place. I don't want to claim any valor there. Like I have some connection to it, but I think it's more an interesting. I think seeing to be like, I'm not, this isn't a funny thing to say, but to be serious for a minute, like seeing quite how unfair the whole thing was. Just, I've never seen, it's like watching a car crash in very, very slow motion, really slow motion, knowing exactly what's going on, seeing all of the info ops that were going on, all of the fucking unfairness of it. And then seeing it happen in real slow motion, really predictably, and then seeing every twat lose their mind on the internet and sort of say stupid things about it. Yeah, I guess um, 
it was I, I definitely ride the zeitgeist wave of psychosis very happily <laughs> Do you know what i mean and this was something that i could embrace because unlike BLM or Me Too, I I have some kind of connection to it. Do you know what I mean? I'm like those yeah. other things. Fucking, I don't know. It's interesting, but I can't I can't be that connected to it. Right? You don't black. feel I'm not black or a woman, so you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it feels like you're the type of person that actually thrives on just like high intensity moments. Just like whatever everyone might be like afraid of, you're like moving into um like a a good day kind of um archetype where you want to go where the danger is um do you feel like um there's anything that's happening right now that kind of mirrors that kind of moment and what is your what are your feelings on like the ways that people are interacting now with like the whole ukraine russian ongoing invasion i don't think i don't think anything's particularly taken its place because that was such a big thing that it's good right. you know that I think they have like three month cycles. There's like a three month cycle. Then there's some time where everyone's like, I cannot be bothered to even look at the news or think about anything at all. And we're kind of in that dip at the moment. And really like, I heard this amazing, this amazing analogy it was like, Ukraine is Reddit and, uh, and Russia is 4chan. And that's quite <laughs> Can I, you explain that to us? I want to get this out into the media because like, it's more clever than people think it is. You know, people think that Russia is based and you know, Ukraine are a bunch of fucking polyamorous morons from, you know, Reddit type typologies. But I think it's more subtle than that. There is some truth in it in that the reality of people behind 4chan is a lot less based and interesting than they would like it to be. And it's had its day. And it's basically a load of delusional neckbeard fucking morons. And Reddit actually has some quite decent, interesting people when you look. So I think that that analogy was more accurate than the people who said it uh, intended. Um, but now it's like, everyone has got bored of it apart from people who have any professional connection to it do you know what i mean and that is i think that's human nature like we can't you can't sustain a level of panic and crisis for that long without going mad and i even know people who are kind of fighting over there and whatever and they they've normalized it it's not just people consuming media it's people yeah in the, you know whatever it's just become normal which is tragic but that happened with syria it's not like it's not that it's not that there's no precedent for it um that unlike I guess the danger with this stuff is like the interesting thing with BLM for the protests around that is that it's this perfect, perfect illustration of how activism neuters itself. And I think it was, uh, I mean, I'm going to say something fairly controversial here, but this is the place this to is say. This is a safe space for that. Yeah. I think that that whole, you know, if you look at like, you know, huge numbers of oppressed black people in prison, effectively in modern day slavery, and how that conversation got diverted and neutered by neoliberal, I'm not going to be that specific, but it got diverted into certain very, very, very niche interests. Do you know what I mean? So it went from BLM to something else, very conveniently, um, because people just couldn't sustain looking at the real problem for that long. Like the real problem is fucking massive and obvious. Yeah, totally. Boring. Totally. Like it's boring. Like it, you know, you, there's only yeah. so much you yeah. say like, the problem hasn't changed either. Like they had identified it very, very accurately right at the beginning of that whole thing. And everyone was saying quite sensible things. But then when it didn't change as easily as they thought it would, they got diverted probably by the CIA into talking about stuff that has quite frankly, no fucking impact on black people whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? So it's interesting. And that, that will happen to any kind of, you know, any big event probably. Yeah. It seems like um, the ways that, the uprising of 21 kind of developed was that 
everyone was an abolitionist. They wanted to defund the police. And when you wanted to start getting into the conversations about this, um, you were either real or fake activists, whether or not you wanted to completely defund the police. Like if you were saying defund the police and you didn't mean like completely stripping the police altogether, you weren't a true abolitionist. And the people that really held that line, you know, are the people that, you know, in a sense, never integrated into understanding the, the precision <clears throat> of this institutional knowledge that they would need to impact the systems. Um, you know, I wish people were more willing to just admit how little they know. They actually know, yeah. About like the day-to-day -day things, you know, like these things, these bureaucratic things are really complicated. They're entrenched over, you know, in, in a way like centuries probably, you know, they're disparate practices that have been developed over hundreds and hundreds of years. And if we want to change them, you know, we have to get involved in day-to-day -day activism that's called organizing. And organizing is very it is so much like, work. like what Ben's saying. It's very boring. boring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I did this. Like you, you know, you're doing this act. You're doing some activism at the moment. I know you are. You're doing this anti Zuckerberg thing. I did a kind of similar thing called transparency, please, which is a lot more. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Oh, yeah. I tried to be sensible, right? I tried to do a sensible bit of activism for once in my life. And I, I am not an activist. I fucking, it was, I had like I two know. days of being interested in it. And then I was like, how do people sustain this? This is so boring. I have to be like earnest and serious. And I just. Yeah, totally. It, it's it, so much work, especially as someone who's coming from this on like we're in this community online. That's just like so irony drenched. And and all we do is talk shit about how um, performative and, and useless and hysterical all of this nonsense is. And then when we actually want to, you know, try to do something real to do an activism um you know you're gonna get slaughtered in in this community we built um that I wants nothing that, to do with it at least i maybe we have the integrity to admit that it's entirely selfish like i don't give a fuck about anyone else <laughs> I, just want, I just want my audience on instagram do you know what i mean like i am not yeah. pretending to be noble in any way i don't care about anyone else's audience i just want to make a living yeah we'll see like that's the thing i'm like listen i just i just want to you know survive on here that's definitely like how it started for me and like the thing is i'm like this it, i'm not alone in this i'm not the center of this problem this happens to fucking like so many people so why not you know try to get them to change this shit so that we can all keep our platforms and keep shit posting I might well, have anything. Yeah. Matthew's wrong. the one who is able to like actually intellectualize it and get big picture about this because he's an actual, he does real work unlike us. Um, and, you know, has, has a lot of ideas and um, knowledge about, you know, the moderation system as, as a bigger issue and making it less about me, like me <laughs> and us. Well, I mean, my my inroad was from working with a group called Feminist AI and looking at biased algorithms and the ways that they basically do target people of color, sex workers, these people. Um, but I've known about this for a really long time. And I mean, yeah, I've been doing activism, but I'm not like I'm not like spending my day to day organizing like I used to. I am not in academia. So um, so I'm not going to I don't get that much valor, I would say. But I know, but I get it. Yeah, like activate, like we just have to admit, like we have to admit, like, yeah, that it can be boring and 
um, that part of it can be selfish. And of course, part of it is always selfish, even for activists, you know, that are like trying to be like trying to build some kind of movement with other people. Um, even even activism that has nothing to do with you and your identity or the problems you face is selfish in the way that most people just perform it so that they can like look like a good ally anyways. Mm -hmm. well, I, had a, I had a dream last night, people. I had a dream. Was, <laughs> I had a dream. I really did have a dream last night that I was sat next to Mark Zuckerberg himself. Working. Wow. It was a very, very wow. dream. We were sat next to each other. He was working and I was working and it was just quite normal and nothing else happened. I don't know what that means. That's not normal. You're, you're sitting next to Zuck's biggest enemy. Now. But it was, <laughs> well, well um, the thing that I the thing that I do wonder about this stuff is like you know uh, we, I had a I had a go at doing an activism briefly. It was called transparency, please. And then sort yeah, of tell us about it though, because we don't. Well, yeah, be, tell the audience about it. Tell us about it. We don't care that it was selfishly driven at first because that's how a lot of things start. Oh, and then I'm, once you start combining them with other people, then you know it starts to broaden. Yeah, I'm completely at peace with being selfish. It's completely fine. It was um, I wrote an open letter to Facebook, and you could just go and you know we built a website. Just wrote an open letter, and you could go and sign it. That was it. So it's like collecting signatures. It wasn't really a petition because I think that though you know that is even a commodified action in itself. So I thought I want this to be not connected to any brand. Like uh, what are the petition brands? Change.org like, and yeah, exactly. I think as soon as you align with that it becomes a kind of commodified piece of activism you know i just wanted it to be yeah. a pure in a way it was sort of an art piece what you were, what you were doing you're like i'm not you don't you didn't want to tie it and make it into something um... yeah exactly well a year about um three years before that i did a similar thing with um tumblr so tumblr instituted artificial intelligence moderation and I built a scraper tool with some coders that you could basically any Tumblr feed that you liked, you could scrape all the content and download it. So it's basically saying like before this AI comes in, collect all of your favorite Tumblrs. And it was quite popular. Do you know what I mean? But that was like that was a sort of um, like a precursor to this one. And that was zero percent activism. That was literally just there's some really cool porn on Tumblr. We should get it before it goes. Yeah, um, but it was, it was it was a useful tool. And then um, so this other. So what you're saying is that your activism is also driven by porn? Uh, I would say <laughs> it's very sexually. <laughs> very, very no, you don't we want to see, yourself. We wanna we see tits on Tumblr. We want to see tits on Instagram. We do. Yeah, we really it's do. The libidinal urge. <laughs> no, it is. The libidinal economy is so yeah. real. But you created a tool that was scraping for people. I mean, yeah, why didn't you like just that. do it for yourself, you know? If because, it was so selfish, uh, I wouldn't say. I mean, I'm kind of. I think I'm kind of joking with the selfish thing. Like, I think we're a community. <laughs> we we sort yeah. of it, like it's all well and good. Me, like I can have a good Tumblr with loads of cool shit on it, but it's not much fun if nobody else does. Do you know what I mean? So it's like like anything. The selfishness is that I want everybody to be able to post loads of cool stuff and have a good time, uh, so that I have a good time. But with Tumblr, there was a lot of kind of uh, there was a lot of niche community stuff like asphyxia. yeah, totally stuff that you cannot get anywhere else. And it wasn't illegal. Like, it wasn't anything horrible, but it was stuff right. that you just... Like, I fucking hate Pornhub and stuff. I, th I hate... I kind of hate porn, but I think that Tumblr had nurtured this... Yeah, like, it was... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I love porn, the porn on Tumblr, too. It was just... Yeah, but like, there was just some of everything. And it was very non-judgmental. So, like, you could go from, like, some 
communist Tumblr to some neo-Nazi thing to some like asphyxia porn thing to cut cakes. 